1: Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes descriptions of body horror. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. You're shopping on a budget. You can't afford the latest looks from Paris or even that trendy clothing store you saw on Instagram. So you hit up a small second-hand shop and hope for the best. Your wish is granted. Staring up at you from a pedestal is the most breathtaking dress you've ever seen. It calls out for you to touch it, to try it on. You ask yourself how a dress this beautiful could be discarded by anyone. It fits you perfectly. You take it home with you, hugging the garment bag all the way. But just as you were looking for it, it was looking for you. Welcome to Haunted Places, a podcast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, we take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth and share their stories. This episode is part of our Urban Legends Halloween special. Every day for the month of October, we're presenting our spooky spin on an urban legend, then diving into the history of the horror. Like it or not, each terrifying tale contains a grain of truth. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. If you enjoyed this episode of Haunted Places, be sure to check out the rest of the ParCast Presents Halloween feed on Spotify. Today, we examine an urban legend about the costs of looking drop-dead gorgeous. The poison dress is a pulpy tale inspired by the unknown histories of previously owned garments and the body-mangling trends of the fashion world. Instead of having to squeeze herself into a blistering stiletto heel or suffocating Spanx, the poor heroine of our story becomes the victim of the dress of her dreams. The motif of the poison dress has its origins in ancient history. Similar tales popped up in ancient Greece, India, and Victorian England, among others. Not one, but two instances of poisoned clothing come from Greek mythology. The first, the shirt of Nessus, was a trick by an enemy of Hercules. As the centaur Nessus died, he promised Hercules' wife that washing her husband's cloak in the centaur blood would help keep the hero faithful to her. She followed his instructions, not realizing that Hercules had used arrow tips doused in hydra blood to slay the centaur. The poison transferred from the arrows to the centaur's blood and finally to Hercules' cloak. When the hero donned the cloak, He was overcome in excruciating and incurable pain. It was so unbearable that Hercules leapt onto his funeral pyre, burning himself alive and taking the cloak with him. The second myth is even more ominous. The spurned sorceress Medea sends her husband's new betrothed Glossy a stunning dress for her wedding. Glossy is so entranced with the garment that she puts it on immediately erupting into flame seconds later. Her father, King Creon, is also consumed by the blaze while desperately trying to save his daughter. The mechanics of the Greek iterations of these poisoned shirts are a bit fuzzy, but the dangers of toxic garments would become all too real during the Victorian period. A deep emerald dye known as Paris green became the color of choice in the mid-19th century, especially for ball gowns and other formal wear. The secret ingredient that made the color so vibrant was arsenic. An artificial flower maker named Matilda Scheurer died a horrible death in 1861. She'd already been to the hospital four times before for vomiting and foaming at the mouth. Her fingernails had turned green, along with the whites of her eyes. Her vomit was a bright green on the day she died. The cause was right under her doctor's noses. She had been dyeing her flowers with Paris green. An autopsy found that arsenic had infiltrated most of her major organs by the end of her life. A public uproar ensued surrounding the so-called arsenical greens, eventually leading to a fashion superstition, Green is one of the most underused colors in haute couture. But this urban legend isn't a story of revenge, treachery, or incompetent tailoring. It's a tale of innocence and hope. A tale of a girl who tries to become a woman the only way she knows how, by sacrificing everything for beauty, including herself. Georgie didn't know her great-aunt Augusta. The woman had sent birthday cards and Christmas presents each year, but she'd never visited, and now she never would. Aunt Augusta had died two days before Georgie's 10th birthday. Instead of a party, she'd be spending the day at a wake. Georgie's parents had always referred to great-aunt Augusta with a sigh and a pregnant pause as though talking to her was the greatest burden that could be carried by a person. To Georgie, she evoked the image of a witch in a gingerbread house, like the one in the story of Hansel and Gretel, plump and red-faced, with a kindly smile and spindling fingers that would snatch you when you least expected it. But it turned out that Augusta lived in a house of wood, not gingerbread. A giant Victorian with spires that cut the very sky in half. It was painted a faded blue that was swiftly going gray. Every step her family took as they entered caused something to creak or bend beneath their feet. Georgie's parents had told her that death was nothing to fear. When you got to be Augustus' age, the body began to wear away, like a t-shirt you'd washed too many times. It was nothing to be afraid of. Everyone died. But whatever her parents said, Georgie found it hard to accept that this was a normal circumstance of life. Her parents' eyes were dry, but there was a heaviness to the way they walked, like the ceiling of the house was pushing down on their shoulders. Death and its surroundings certainly looked like something to be afraid of. Georgie held her mother's hand tightly as they headed for the living room. She had never seen a dead body, but she figured it was probably better to see someone she hadn't known in life. She did her best to prepare herself as they crossed the threshold into the living room. A massive open white box awaited them at the far end of the room, adorned with flowers and greens. The only visible part of Aunt Augusta was the tip of her nose, a tiny flesh-colored mountain jutting up above the shiny rosewood. Georgie touched her own nose. Her mother told her to put her hand down. They found a seat towards the back of the room. Georgie never took her eyes off Aunt Augusta's nose. They hadn't told her that she would be able to see part of the body. The nostrils looked like they were flaring breathing faintly, in and out. Georgie tugged at her mother's hand, but she told her to be quiet. The service was about to start. Georgie sat through the prayers and speeches, wishing she had her Nintendo DS with her. Without it, she was left staring at the nose, waiting for it to breathe again. She didn't want to see the body, but the procession of mourners had begun. Her parents were dragging her towards the coffin. She twisted against their grip. They held tight. She was too old for tantrums now. Georgie took several deep breaths, her nostrils flaring like Aunt Augusta's. No one else seemed to notice. She pulled and pulled, but still, they brought her up in front of the ivory-painted box. Georgie finally looked down. her fear evaporated in an instant. Great-aunt Augusta was wearing the most beautiful dress she'd ever seen. It was made of a soft green silk with hand-stitched lace over the top. The sleeves were long and dainty. A deep V-neckline exposed Augusta's bones, jutting out over blue-tinged, paper-thin skin. She looked like the evil queen in a fairy tale, still asking who was the fairest of them all. Without thinking, Georgie reached into the coffin and touched the hem of the dress. The green silk slid against her hand gently, caressing her as she caressed it. She slid her fingers down towards the intricate lace pattern. Her fingers grazed the small clear beads woven into the fabric, a bead shattered in her hand small pieces of glass stabbing at her skin. She didn't care. Her mother grabbed her wrist and tried to pull her back. But Georgie's hand was stuck, twisted deeply into the sleeves of the dress. Her mother lunged for her other hand. Georgie was faster. She slid it into Augusta's other sleeve, her fingers searching for more of the smooth silk sensation. At a startling sound, Georgie's eyes shot towards Aunt Augusta. Until now, Georgie had been too distracted by the dress to notice anything else. But someone had done Augusta's makeup in garish colors. Red eyeshadow was smudged against her eyelids, making her closed eyes look more like open wounds. Georgie thought she saw the old woman's eyes flutter briefly. The dress tightened its hold on her, pulling her towards Augusta's pale hands, Georgie's mother yanked harder, trying to rein her daughter in. Augusta's fists closed over Georgie's wrists, long nails clawing at her skin. Her mother told her to stop playing around. Georgie shook her head, eyes wide. She wasn't doing anything. It was all Augusta. A foul smell hit Georgie's nostrils, more pungent than the roses meant to mask the scent of death. It smelled faintly of mothballs, but there was also the tang of blood, fresh blood. The silk bindings around Georgie's hands wouldn't let go. Her mother lifted her, trying to physically remove her from the body. The sleeves wouldn't give. As her mother pulled, Georgie felt her shoulder dislocate and heard a loud pop. The pain was immediate and so strong she had trouble seeing. Stars danced around an endless night sky in her head. Then she was back in the land of the living. Her mother had stopped pulling, but the sleeves of the dress were giving way. Georgie yanked, wanting to take some piece of it with her. Georgie's parents finally pulled her away carrying her from the room, kicking and screaming, the ripped green sleeves still clutched in her hands. There were punishments, therapists, trips to the funeral home to help her understand the process of death. They walked her through the embalming process, showing her how the formaldehyde flowed in as the blood flowed out. The mortician was nice, if confused. She taught Georgie how makeup worked on a corpse, showed her the crematorium, how they stuffed the chest cavity with cotton to keep its shape if needed. It made Georgie very popular at school. But no matter how many doctors she saw, no matter how many books she read or movies she watched, no matter how many times her parents sat her down to tell her that she had just been a very scared, very confused 10-year-old, No matter what, she knew what she knew. She knew that dress had called her as its next owner. She knew Great Aunt Augusta hadn't wanted to let it go. She had the scars to prove it. Coming up, Georgie and her dress are reunited
0: in this life. And the next. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear.
1: No one in Georgie's family ever mentioned Aunt Augusta after the funeral. Even as Georgie grew from an awkward preteen to a marginally less awkward teenager, she couldn't understand it. Sure, they were in denial about her behavior at the funeral. People didn't like what they couldn't understand and no one understood death. Not really. They told her she'd been in some sort of fugue state, but they could never explain the bruises the dress had left on her arms. Even today, six years later, Georgie itched at the scars the shattered glass bead had left on her hand as she rifled through the dresses at the consignment boutique. She needed something for the prom that would cover the bruises, or she'd be self-conscious the whole night. Exposing the wounds of her past and the lies of her family wasn't exactly the best way to spend a night to remember. So she'd gone in search of something sexy yet modest that could give her the confidence she needed while still keeping her date interested. Charlie'd want some sort of plunging neckline or backline, a promise of what would happen later. She caught her hand on a hanger, the wire digging under the skin of her fingernails. She jerked back instinctively and examined the cut, sucking the blood from her nail bed. Georgie reached for the hanger again. She forgot how to breathe. Green silk. Long sleeves with a loop for her middle finger to fit through. Small glass beads peppered along the delicate lacework. Deep V-neckline. It had been several years since she'd seen that dress pressed inside a plush white velvet-lined coffin. Here, in the sunlight... It looked brand new. It couldn't be the original. She still had the sleeves from Aunt Augusta's dress in her room somewhere, buried in the back of her closet where her mother couldn't find it. The rest of the dress was in the ground now, buried with Aunt Augusta. But this new version of it was too tempting to resist. It looked like it was several sizes too small for her, and her therapist would be very displeased. But she didn't care. She had to try it on. Georgie pushed back the velvet blue curtain of the dressing room area. She pulled off her clothes and slid into the dress that had never really left her mind. It fit her perfectly, accentuating all her best features. She studied her appearance in the mirror, taking in the way the beads reflected the fluorescent lights in the store. It would look stunning on a dance floor glittering more brightly than the chintzy disco ball just the right amount of sexy it emphasized her collarbones but still left something to the imagination above all though it was elegant not a taffeta hot pink monstrosity that would threaten to drown her it was timeless no it was immortal Her face flickered in and out of the mirror. The dress remained where it was. But Georgie's body started to change. Her skin went translucent. Cuts dotted her arms. She could feel cotton filling her chest, climbing up her throat until a wisp fell from her mouth. Georgie fell backward, hitting her back against the far wall of the dressing room. Her chest tightened. All the air left the room. Georgie gasped for breath. She struggled against the weight inside her, clutching at her throat. Her breath hitched against an invisible force. Her vision blurred, her reflection in the mirror going out of focus. Then, everything went black. Georgie woke up on the floor of the dressing room. She looked down at her arms. Her skin looked normal. She could breathe again. Maybe the whole thing had been a dream. Georgie took off the dress. Her hands still lingered on the fabric, not wanting to let it go. She studied it for a long moment before pulling her jeans and t-shirt back on and exiting the dressing room. She felt something unseen tugging at her. A small desire that grew to fill her whole chest. The fainting spell had been strange, but then it had been a while since she'd eaten last. She'd needed to take better care of herself, and the best self-care would be buying this dress. It was double the price she and her parents had agreed on, but her parents weren't here. She placed her mother's credit card on the counter, feeling very adult, The dress sat in her closet for several weeks. Sometimes, Georgie thought, she could feel it waiting for her on the other side of the door. As tempted as she was to put the dress back on, to feel the cool kiss of silk, she waited. Just like her first time with Charlie, she wanted it to mean something. The day of the dance arrived. She opened her closet for the dramatic reveal. The new version of her. The version of her that her school and Charlie had never seen. The dress felt tighter than before, clinging to her curves in a way that was more uncomfortable than sexy. Her skin was itchy near the seams, but no one would be the wiser if they were on the outside looking in. She could handle it for a few hours. Georgie's parents took several million photos of her and Charlie together on the stairs. Georgie's hair and makeup were perfect. Charlie's bow tie matched the green of her dress. Neither of her parents had ever seen the dress before, or so they said. They headed to the dance in Charlie's beat-up car, but Georgie felt like a princess arriving at the grand ball rather than a junior entering a decorated gymnasium. It was her night to step out of the shadows. People noticed her gown immediately, but she was only interested in one person's reaction. Charlie's eyes never left her, straying to the few slivers of skin the dress didn't cover. They danced and they sang, and they drank terrible spiked punch. Sweat dripped from Georgie's perfectly coiffed hairline to her cleavage. The dress was tightening on her as she moved. She pulled out the neckline, trying to get more air to her skin, but the dress stayed stuck against her sweat. Charlie suggested they take a moment to rest. Her chest felt constricted by the material. She was struggling with air again. Georgie tried to take a deep breath But there wasn't enough give in the stomach for air to sink into her system. The arms of the dress dug painfully into her skin. Her wrists throbbed against the hem of the sleeves. She tugged them back to give her skin some air, then froze at the sight of the skin below. Her arms were covered in red, bubbling blisters and raw sores. Her flesh seemed to be burning away. Her vision clouded. The weight and skin irritation grew unbearably intense. Her breath came in short spurts. And then, blissfully, the pressure in her wrists disappeared. Georgie looked down to find her own severed hands in her lap. Her eyes widened as she observed the mangled stumps at the end of her arms. Her skin and sinew had corroded in a matter of seconds. She wanted to scream, but she was still struggling for breath. Her heart was racing, hitting the bones around it painfully. The seams pressed harder into her skin. She could feel the bubbling getting worse, the skin on her hips and sides swelling screaming for release. Relief. She pulled at the fabric, trying to rip it off, but her skin was pulling away with it. Her head lolled backwards as pain overwhelmed her. She could feel the eyes of the crowd on her. Everyone was watching, but no one was helping. The dress was getting tighter and tighter. Charlie's voice was far away. Relief overwhelmed her for a brief second as the seam split. She let out a sigh before her body collapsed into a pile of mangled flesh, fabric, and a swiftly growing pool of blood on the gym floor. As Georgie's consciousness slipped away, she found herself wondering if they would bury her in the dress. Many parts of this urban legend have changed over the years, but two elements remain constant, the deadly ending and the dress coming from a robbed grave. The garment is removed from an already embalmed body by either conventional grave robbers or a money-grubbing funeral director reselling the departed's clothes before cremating them. Often, the dress's deadly nature is explained as a result of embalming fluid that has seeped into the fabric from the body it was buried with. When the girl dances, her sweat opens her pores, allowing the corrosive chemical to enter her body, eventually killing her. Modern embalming fluid is a mix of glutaraldehyde, methanol, and other solvent chemicals, but its primary ingredient is formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is a naturally occurring compound that is actually a chemical component in many living organisms' standard metabolic processes. It can be found in various pesticides, disinfectants, and pressed wood products, like plywood. Since 1987, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has also classified it as a carcinogen, even when airborne. When formaldehyde can be measured in amounts exceeding 0.1 parts per million, Exposed individuals can experience eye, nose, and throat irritation, nausea, and skin irritation. One of the primary byproducts of the chemical is formic acid, which can cause red blood cells to rupture. The altered pH of the body leads to massive organ dysfunction, and likely death. But this type of response would likely result only from formaldehyde being directly injected into the bloodstream. There have been some very rare instances of formaldehyde that was present in operating rooms being accidentally administered to patients via IV, including a 2018 case in Russia that received international media coverage. But none of these bear much resemblance to the legend of the poison dress, which supposedly administers its poison through the wearer's skin. While skin exposure to formaldehyde is by no means recommended, the body's rapid metabolism would likely prevent the system-wide effects we see when the chemical is injected intravenously. In fact, while some individuals are extremely sensitive to the chemical, others have little to no initial reaction to it at all. In any case, the short-term symptoms of skin exposure to formaldehyde can be damaging but not life-threatening. Despite this, the modern iteration of the poison dress stories became popular in the 1940s as dances became frequent events for maintaining wartime morale. The United States' economic prosperity post-World War II led to the increased significance of prom, where girls on the cusp of womanhood would be encouraged to dress in their finest for a night out with their bow. With a growing emphasis on both the importance of looks and the need to find a dress that is both beautiful and economical, it's easy to see how these literally ancient fears reemerged. While writing for The Hairpin, Katie Kelleher asserted this particular urban legend speaks to the horrors of performing femininity. Western society routinely forces women to risk their comfort and occasionally their lives in order to be deemed presentable. So consider where discomfort ends and ill health begins. You'd think we'd have the sense to take the garment off if it's itchy or feels strange. But it's just so pretty. The things we do for fashion, after all. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back tomorrow with a new urban legend, and on Thursday with a new Haunted Place. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify's making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Until tomorrow, don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, it is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind, additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Richey. I'm Greg Polson.